0: Well, the same procedure just as last uh, time. You know, the words up on the screen for the Psalms, but I'll announce them as well. i try and remember the tunes this evening. I'm not sure how you're finding singing along. We've been finding it a little bit difficult. Uh, nothing to do with Sir An presenting, but uh, because of how we sing, we find that we're half a tone or so, at least down by the end of the verse. Uh, but don't worry about that, if that's your experience as well. Probably not, you're much better singers than we are. Uh, But nobody else can hear you Uh, so the only people that can be heard are Sarah and Anselm and they're the only voices on the recording of the, the service as well this evening. Well we welcome you all in this evening to our time of worship and we welcome those as well who listen later on on WhatsApp and those who perhaps join in through our Facebook page And we pray that we know God's blessing. They are still rather unusual circumstances for worshiping. We wish they were different, but we wait on the Lord for his timing and his purpose with regards to that. Let me give you just a call to worship from the psalm that we sing from in a moment. It says in Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We're going to sing from Psalm 145, uh, the A version. We're going to be singing the first six verses. The tune is, In Christ Alone. Uh, you I'll exalt my God, O King, and I will bless your name always. I bless you every single day, your name forever. I will pray. Psalm 145A, 1 to 6. Let us praise God together. You'll I'll exalt my God, O King, and
1: I will bless Your name always. I'll bless You every single day. Your name forever I will praise. Great is the Lord, much to be praised. His greatness fully such can none.
0: Father
1: to Son, we'll praise your works. Tell of the mighty works you've done. Upon the glorious splendor of your majesty, my mind, will dwell. And on the things that you have done, works that in wonder do excel. And men will speak all the might of your own works that all some and I in turn will also speak, your greatness will I will declare, and of your goodness that is great, the memory they will express. They'll tell it for, they'll shout for joy At your own perfect righteousness The Lord of so very gracious is, And merciful is he also in loving kindness, he is great, and unto anger he is
0: slow. Well, let's pray to God. Father, we rejoice in this psalm that we have been able to sing to your prayers in the reminder of who you are this evening. We rejoice that you're the great God of all the earth, that there is none who compares with you, that you're glorious in all your splendor. We rejoice that you're the God who is full of might and strength, that you have all power to accomplish all that you've planned to do. We thank you that none of your plans, none of your purposes fall by the way, but they will all be complete as you unfold your plans day by day. We thank you, mighty God, that you're, a perfect God in all your ways and in all you're doing, that you're righteous and uh, that you do all that's in accordance with your law. We you rejoice that you're so very gracious, that you've not dealt with us as our sins deserve, but we thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for your great love for us, that rather than treating us as our sins deserve, you've treated your only dear son. We thank you that in, for all who are in him, there is, Therefore now, no condemnation. We rejoice in the wonder of your grace that we're freely pardoned as we trust in Christ. Children, in your family, we thank you for your day and for the reminder of a risen Savior has accomplished all that you gave him to do by way of keeping the law for us and by way of laying down his life as a ransom for many. We thank you that you raised him from the dead, declaring him with power, to be the son of god. We thank you that as we venture into this new week wondering what it may hold for us that the lord jesus christ goes with his people promising never to leave nor forsake us. We confess our sins before you mighty god this evening. Forgive us mighty god our our lack of love for you, forgive us our uh, our great love for ourselves and preoccupation with ourselves. Forgive us our wrong thoughts and our wrong ways. And we pray that as we would hear your word read this evening, hear it explained and applied, that you'll speak into our hearts and stir us up into living for Jesus Christ. Thank you for all who are gathered uh, to worship uh, you this evening and join in live to this. Thank you for those who listen later on. and We pray that in each of our lives, you'll work by the might of your spirit through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We've been working our way through Romans chapter 8, bit by bit, uh, on the Lord's day evenings. This evening we'll be looking at verses 18 to 25. And so we're going to read now from verse 18 and through to verse 30 but again can i set the scene of this I, I, not just repeating it for repeating sake but book of romans is one of those books of the bible that every christian should know and grasp uh, the first three chapters thereabouts paul is simply explaining to the roman christians that everybody needs the gospel whether they're the uh, person who's lived in gross immorality Whether the person who's lived an outwardly upright life, uh, whether the person who's lived a religious life, if they're not trusting Christ, they're under God's wrath and in need of his mercy. And from chapter 321 to 521, Paul was spelling out God's remedy, uh, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the way that there's pardon and forgiveness and the way to be declared right with God. It's not a new way, it was the way that the men and women of faith of the Old Testament look to also. Then from chapter 6, verse 1, through to the end of chapter 8, Paul is explaining all the benefits, all the blessings of the gospel. In chapter 6 and 7, he explains them uh, from a a negative angle. Uh, He said that you're no longer bound by sin, you're freed from the guilt of sin, freed from the, uh, the punishment of death. And then in chapter 8, he's still explaining the benefits of the gospel, all who trust Christ, and now he's doing it from a positive angle from the, and expressing it in this 8th chapter in the blessing that the Holy Spirit lives within all of God's people. So we're breaking in at verse 18 and we hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time he also glorified. Well, before we come to look at this uh, part of God's word, I'll lead us once more in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the God who speaks, that you're not a silent God. We thank you that you've given to us your, your word, that we can understand so clearly who you are, that we can understand so clearly ourselves and understand this world in which we live. We thank you that it's a word especially about Jesus Christ, the, the saviour of sinners. We thank you for this book of the Bible that we have been looking at just one chapter in and for its wonderful uh, explanation of our need for the gospel and the wonderful explanation that Jesus Christ is the, the one and only way by which sinners like us can be declared right with God through faith in heaven. We long and pray, mighty God, that many, would know this great message not only in their heads but in their hearts. And so we pray for our nation this evening. We ask, Father, that there would be many, by the working of your Spirit, turning and searching for you, the living God, and as they would seek after you, that they would understand that you're seeking after them and that they would know your great love in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we thank you, Father, for the going out of the gospel today in our province and in our nation. And we pray that there might be many who have heard it today and that there be many by your spirit trusting in Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for our nation. We pray for our governments and our leaders, that you would give them wisdom. Oh, we long that it will be a wisdom that will look to you, Lord, and we know that you can do even this. We pray for those who are involved in looking after the the sick and the needy, and that you would grant them help, Lord. We pray, Father, for those who are scientists and seeking a, a remedy for this virus, that you would uh, guide in treatments and guide also in a vaccine. We pray, Father, that you would help our nation to uh, cope with these difficult deaths and you would help us also, Lord. You know, the challenges that we face in our, in our own lives and in our lives together. We pray that your word would be ministering to us in these days. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, please keep your Bible open. Uh, You really need it because this book of Romans is a very densely packed part of God's word. We're thankful for parts of God's word like this. We're thankful for those wonderful storylines like the book of Ruth that we looked at recently in our church. Uh, But we're also thankful for this different way that God speaks and a closely, densely packed, logical way of writing. And this evening we're looking at these verses from 8 to 25 of Romans 8. I've entitled this, Keeping Going in a Broken World. Keeping Going in a Broken World. We read in the Gospels that one day the Lord Jesus was speaking to some religious people And the Lord said to them in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29, he said, you are wrong because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And one area of life that can seep into our lives with regards wrong thinking is to have wrong thinking about suffering, wrong thinking about why all the bad stuff happens in the world. Some people in their wrong thinking make the conclusion that because all this stuff is happening, it proves there's no God. And of course, the Lord Jesus' words to those religious people in his day are fitting as well for them. You are wrong because you do not know the scripture nor the power of God. Some people are looking at difficulties in the world, conclude, well, if there's a God, he's not loving or or he's not powerful. And again, Jesus' words are fitting. You are wrong because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. <coughs> Some people become rather cynical in their, in their thinking and uh, try to blot out any thought of God. And again, Jesus' words are spot on. You are wrong because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Some professing Christians just uh, take these uh, circumstances of life as an opportunity just to drift from God. And again, Jesus' words are fitting. You are wrong because you do not know the power of God. So the, the scriptures are the power of God. And this evening, we have the scriptures right before us to give us light and how we're to live in our broken world to help us keep on going. In this 8th chapter, as I said in the introduction to the reading, the Apostle Paul is packing from a, 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 a positive perspective the blessings of being a Christian. He has stated it negatively in, in chapter 17 that you're no longer under the guilt of the law, etc. Now he's stating things positively. And he, he, is, he says in this 8th chapter, uh, for every Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. For every Christian, you've got a new life because he's within you. And you're freed from the, the guilt of sin and you're freed from the, the punishment of death, uh, because the Holy Spirit's within you, you're, a, you're enabled to live for God, and because God is changing, uh, because the Spirit lives within us, God's changing us, and, he, and His holy Spirit is assuring us. And in this section, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit secures the Christian for future glory. And if you remember nothing else of what this thirty-minute or so explanation, this passage, let that be riveted in your mind. The Holy Spirit lives in the Christian, and He secures or guarantees your future glory. You'll see that our verse, this uh, for starting off, in verse eighteen begins with the word "for." So the Apostle Paul is linking what he is now writing what he has just said and as you look up in your Bible you'll see what he has just said he has just said that Christians are the children of God he has just said that the children of God eh, often in this life face suffering for their faith and part of the evidence that someone is a true Christian is that they're they're willing to suffer with him Uh, They're willing to stand for him, to take whatever flack there might be. A sign that they're the children of God. And having mentioned suffering, the Apostle Paul, uh, as it were, is sparked in his mind and he begins to address a little the topic of suffering. He begins to expand on that theme because the topic of suffering is something that he knows that the Roman Christians, whom he was writing to firstly, and Christians in every age, are often disturbed and sometimes confused when it comes to suffering. I remember one situation many years ago now in my ministry, trying to help a a godly family and there was one of the family that had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and Uh, one of the adults in the family said to me, I can't understand this. This person is a very good Christian. And it immediately showed that there was was some misunderstanding in this child of God about suffering, that somehow uh, if you're marching on as a Christian, that that would make you free from suffering. So the Apostle Paul is helping us here not to be confused when it comes to suffering. And there are a few things in this passage that I want uh, to mention here, several points to help you hang your thoughts on as we make our way through the passage. First of all, tying in with what we saw this morning, the Christian lives in a world of suffering. In verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time that's how Paul explain, describes his, word, uh, his world. There are sufferings in this present time, and he's using the word suffering here not in a narrow sense, simply related the, to the sufferings that come because you you want to be faithful to Christ. He's opening it up here into a broad, into a broad uh, meaning, a whole range. He says the sufferings of this present world, sickness, pain. Disappointment, frustration, disease, famine, heartache, temptation. That's the world of the Christian, the sufferings of this present time. Christian doesn't get bubble wrapped on conversion. We experience the sufferings of the present time. And if you look on down to verse 23, you'll see that the the Apostle Paul says there that so intense sometimes are the sufferings at the end of verse 23 that we groan inwardly. There's this ache and this agony within the heart of the Christian. So Paul is intent on, on showing that uh, the world a Christian lives in is a world of suffering and we're, we're not uh, uh, kept from that. But he's also intent on showing that our suffering is part of a bigger picture. This is a truth that we need to grasp in our lives. If you look at verse 21, for example, Paul writes there, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So Paul says, here's creation and it's in bondage. In fact, in verse 22, you'll see that he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, Paul's saying to these Christians, You've got to set your personal suffering in this bigger context of a suffering creation. Because everything with regards to the creation order is broken and it's groaning. The animal world. The plant worlds, the atmosphere, space, the lives of men and women. There's a brokenness that has entered our worlds. And again, if you look now at verse 20, it helps us to get a little bit further on into understanding this. Why is it like that? Why is our worlds and and the whole creation groaning? Why is it this brokenness? Well, look what it says. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So the creation was subjected to futility. The word futility there simply means not able to reach its goal. There's something that has gone wrong in creation. Of course, we know from the Bible that when God created the world, there was no futility. The continuing refrain of the creation record in the opening chapters of Genesis was that God saw that it was good. Creation wasn't groaning then. So why is it broken now? Why, if you've left your dinner out uh, from lunchtime today, it may be a bit unwise to eat it now. It's gone off. Uh, why are there deadly viruses in the world Uh, why if you are allowed to visit the zoo zoo, can you not jump into the cage with a tiger or into the, the enclosure why is our world the way it is look at the words in verse 20 creation was subjected to futility somebody did something to creation and Paul is wanting to make sure, God's wanting to make sure in his word here that we understand who the someone was. And the someone was God. God subjected his creation to futility, God subjected a brokenness onto creation. God had told Adam, and uh, you remember, not to eat of the tree. For on the day that he did, he would die and Adam disobeyed and death came into the world. And God tells us that he cursed his entire creation because of man's rebellion. Now, somebody might think in their minds or someone might say to you, well, that's a bit over the top God. That's not a very kind God that you have that would subject all of creation to this futility and this brokenness. But is that a fair uh, criticism? Would a wise parent allow a rebellious child to ruin the family home, to continue in its rebellious streak and never say anything, never do anything, never put any sanctions, never have any uh, memory for the child that its way was wrong? We, We wouldn't say that was a good parent. We would say that was a very foolish parent. A loving parent would put a sanction in place so the child would see its folly, And that's what God did to his creation, to stop our delinquency. The breakages of our world are the loving mercy of God. Oh, they're difficult, but they have the message behind them that sin ruins and destroys and brings death. That daily figure that appears on our news of the death toll for United Kingdom, it's horrific and it's heartbreaking. And in the midst of it, God is speaking too that sin is hideous. And in the brokenness that God has subjected his world to, it's God uh, chasing us to himself. It's God saying, come to me because this is what sin does. It ruins and destroys. Part of our sorrow for these days, and added to our sorrow rather, is that our leaders, well, they may be listening to the experts and we're thankful for that, for the practical things that they're trying to see to, but as yet we, find we don't find evidence of them listening to the expert and to, the, to God himself to understand what's underneath this situation. So in the first place in this section, the Christian lives in a world of suffering. And it's God's megaphone to us. Secondly, the Christian lives destined for glory. The Christian lives destined for glory. These verses are not to make anyone have that stiff upper lip Englishman uh, mentality. That's godless stoicism. These verses rather are to transform us, that we would see suffering in a new light. In many ways, verse 18 is the headline of this section, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's thinking here, and he wants us to think. He says, "I consider, I've been thinking about this. And I want you to think about this. That this suffering of the present times not worth comparing with the glory." Uh, Glory is one of those wonderful Bible words that simply means weighty, it means significance, it means splendid. And Paul is saying the suffering is for now and for the present, but there's a glory coming. That suffering is not the final scene for the Christian. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Maybe you've known of of a Christian who is, their life has ended in a very difficult situation, uh, uh, their body just disintegrating and it's heartbreaking to watch. Oh, that's not the end. That's not the end for the child of God. There's a glory to come. And Paul is not saying in verse 18, it's not just that he's saying, Heaven is so great that when we get there, we'll forget about all the stuff that has happened here. That is true, but it's more than that. Look at at verse 18 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it's the very next verse then that helps us fully grasp what Paul is saying. Look what it says there. For, in other words, here's the reason for what he's just said. For the creation waits with eager longing. For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. Paul pictures here creation as a a person and it's standing on its tiptoes and it's craning its neck, as we would say. It's looking for something. It's longing for something, it's looking and longing eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And so that's what Paul is speaking about this glory. It's not simply that just in heaven there'll be there'll be the most amazing, glorious things to see. Paul is saying here that the that in that in heaven in glory that there will be, that Christians will be glorious. And the the created order straining its neck to have a look at these sons and daughters of God transformed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. On that day in heaven, all the, the signs of suffering that have permeated our lives, whether it's mentally or physically, or indeed spiritually in our struggles, all will be gone, all pain removed, and and our lives totally and fully transformed. And not only will the believer be transformed, but on that day all of creation also, in verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's a day coming, Paul says, when every hint of brokenness in the sons of God's life and the daughters of the living God's in creation itself will all be gone. There'll be no famine. There'll be no earthquake. There'll be no plague. There'll be no killer viruses. It will be glorious. And it's sure and certain. Look at verse 23. It's sure and certain for the Christian. For Paul says there are not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Paul's saying to these Christians, you've got the guarantee stamped on your life. The Spirit of God lives in you. You're destined for glory. You're destined for the new heavens and the earth. You're destined for a glorious transformation. You could think of it very personally if it helps you. You, Christian, will be so glorious in glory that the created order will be nudging each other and saying, Have you seen? what the mighty, powerful work of Jesus Christ has done on those men and women. What are the things that frustrate you now, Christian? They'll not frustrate you then. They'll all be gone because Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is so powerful. It will bring the ultimate, total transformation of your life and mind, body and soul, and all of creation itself. And that leads very naturally into the third thing that Paul is stressing here. The Christian lives in light of this hope. Here's how we're to live. We're to live in light of the hope. I don't know how it is for you, but I think for myself but I find it so easily to resort to the world's reaction to suffering. Downcastness, anger, bitterness, whatever it might be, can often plague the Christian. But God says, Christian, let this truth of your transformation, of all of creation's transformation, let it change you. Let this truth be part of the process that God is at work in your life with. Look at verse 24. Paul says, For in this hope, in this hope of ultimate transformation of ourselves and all creation, for in this hope, we we hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. You see, when we became Christians, Maybe we didn't fully grasp the wonder of what God had given us. Remember my own life. uh, Those first understandings of God's, what God was doing was, was simply at that level that he pardoned me, that my sins of youth had been forgiven full stop. But the scriptures tell us that salvation is so much bigger that Christ's work is so awesome that it means our salvation, body and soul. It means the salvation of the whole uh, created order. The world around about us, that's broken. We can't see this transformation of creation yet. We can't see the, the final transformation of our lives. We just see the brokenness. And we're grieved by that. But we know from the word of God what the ultimate reality is. That the children of God are going to be glorious, transformed to the likeness of God's Son. Has God given you or me any reason that we might doubt what he has told us here? Is there any reason that we could think, well, I see that God says this, But maybe it's not going to happen. Well, not one reason, obviously. So how are we going to live? Well, that's what Paul says. In this hope, we're saved. We're to live full of this hope. Not the hope of the Liverpool fan who's hoping that the season might be finished and they might get their trophy. That's a vague thing. The hope of the Bible is the sure, certain fact. So Paul is saying here: the Christians not to limp and stumble at every hint of suffering. We're not to ease back in our commitments. We're to hope. We're to look to the sure and certain reality. We don't need to go and dull our pain the way the world does with its fruitless cures, we hope. We hope, we look with certainty, and how transforming that hope is. It puts in our lives the most wonderful, realistic living. We're hoping. We're looking with the eye of faith, believing and trusting. It's not that we just ignore all that's happened in the world, we see it, we're grieved. But we say, this isn't home. Everything's broken here. This couldn't be where God will have me have all my, all my life. This hope transforms us into realistic living. This hope is to make us thinking people. That's why Paul begins this section in verse 18 where he says, For I consider, the word Paul uses for consider here was an accounting word. I've jotted it down. I've tallied it up, Paul says. I've thought about it. I've pondered it. I've reflected on it. I've sucked in the truth of God's word and formulated it in my mind and let it govern my thinking. And that's what we're to do. That's what we're to to encourage one another to do, to consider, to sit down with the word of God and read it and pray it and think it and ponder it, find something that's helpful uh, for us by way of another book that helps us understand the scripture, read it too. This hope is to bring a a thinking living. And this hope is to bring also an expectant living. Notice the illustration that Paul uses there uh, in this whole scenario where he he talks about, about groaning. Verse 22 and onwards, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's an interesting illustration he grasps onto. He talks about the, the, the groaning of the pains of childbirth. If you were in a hospital and heard the cries of a lady, well, you couldn't make any conclusion about her situation until you knew exactly what ward she was on or in if it was the oncology ward we could conclude well it's obviously the cry of sorrow the cry of great heartache cry of sadness what if it was a delivery suite it'd be a cry that was different real but with a prospect of joy and that's how the Christian groans painful things in life to face but the prospect of great joy yearning for a better place realizing the wonder of the love of God to us in Jesus Christ and realizing we're not yet home I remember hearing a lady on one of those home improvement television programs and after their house was completed uh, she said these words, this is all we've ever dreamt of. Could you think of a sadder statement? This is all we've ever dreamt of. Some nice walls, some fancy windows, a kitchen with wonderful sliding drawers and maybe a solar panel on the roof, this is all we ever dreamt of. How pathetic. How sad. How small. Because as human beings, we were made for something bigger. We were made to know God, and to fellowship with God, and to enjoy his home in heaven. And the message of the Bible is, that the Lord Jesus Christ is that one way to heaven. He said on one occasion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And he's that one way to heaven because he died to take the punishment that sinners like you and I deserved, And God raised him, proving that he accepted what he had accomplished. And he commands each one of us to fall before him with faith in Christ for salvation and to turn from our rebellious ways and to all who trust. Oh, he promises pardon, yes. And he promises heaven. Heaven and everlasting life in the new creation which God will one day bring to pass. So Christian, we can keep going in a broken world because we know the scriptures and we know the power of god in jesus christ amen well we're going to conclude our worship as we sing from psalm 84a we're singing the opening five verses and the tune is number 98 psalm 85a singing just the opening sorry singing 84a and saying the opening five verses how lovely are the places of your dwelling unto me oh you are indeed the lord of all hosts that be psalm 84a 1 to 5 and the tune is number 98
1: how lovely are the places of you're dwelling unto me. O oh, you who are indeed the Lord of all the hosts that be, my soul is long and even Thank you Blessed is the man, you are his strength, in his heart are high ways. They turn the veil of tears to springs, as they
0: Praise. Well, let's pray to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. We thank you that you've given us your spirit. Uh, and we thank you that He enables us to grasp more and more of your word. We thank you that He's the deposit living within all of, the, of your children, guarantee, guaranteeing the complete transformation of these bodies and souls of ours and the complete transformation of the created order. We thank you for the hope that it fills our hearts with. We pray for grace that we might live with that hope constantly bobbing on the surface of our thinking and our minds. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit, with Christ's church, now and forevermore. Amen.